Habits and Health, episode 59. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome back to Habits and Health. Um, My guest today is Pamela Spence, and she's been fascinated by herbs since growing up surrounded by the fragrant wet markets of Singapore as a teenager. And she began, she had a career in film and television, but she went uh, on to study herbal medicine in 2002. So we're going to hear about more about that journey and what that entailed and some of her discoveries and how working with herbs has allowed her to to help people in, in a different way and it's certainly for myself, I didn't know much about herbalists and what they really did, which is why I really went out of my way to find someone really experienced in this field. So that's coming up very soon with Pamela Spence. And if you know anyone who could get some great benefit from a lot of the wisdom that Pamela shares, please do share the episode with them and hope you enjoy this week's show. Habits and Health. My guest today is Pamela Spence. How are you, Pamela? Good, thank you. The sun is shining after days of storms, so we're all good here. It has been a bit rough recently, hasn't yeah, it? Really rough. <laughs> and when you say all good here, where where is here? I'm on the west coast of Scotland, so I'm about half an hour south of Glasgow. Okay. On the west coast, near to the sea, hills behind me. It's a very nice place to live. It sounds delightful. And is that is that where you're from? Yep, yeah, I'm from here. I'm the person who was never going to live where I grew up. Um, and I've moved all around the world and ended up living about five miles from where I grew up. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and so I imagine, well, from, from your description, you're sort of out in, a, not the wilderness, but you're, you're not in a city, put it that way. No. So that is probably quite helpful for what you actually do. So do you want to tell us more about what you do? And, yeah, about that? absolutely. So I'm a medical herbalist. And some people are not going to have heard of us before. A lot of people might have heard of the term herbalist, but are maybe a little bit unsure. Hmm. Uh, Myself and most of my herbal colleagues would love to have T-shirts printed that say, I am not a homeopath. Um, So I um, have great respect for what my homeopathic colleagues do, but it is a really different system of medicine to what we do. Um, So the term herbalist uh, is not a protected title. And what that means is that really anyone could call themselves a herbalist if they wanted Mm. to. I don't think many people are actually doing that, but there's a lot of fear around that people will do that and set themselves up in business. In reality, I don't think they do. Mm. Um, But the herbalist is really someone who works with with plants um, to improve people's health. And um, you can get herbal vets too, but they have to have been vets first and herbalists second. Um, And we call ourselves medical herbalists to denote the fact that um, anyone with that title will be through some pretty standard medical training. So we don't do that in a hospital or a medical school. But um, the herbal school that I went to, for example, uh, we do do the normal things that doctors would train in, you know, anatomy, physiology, differential diagnosis, all that kind of thing. And in fact, I was taught by some doctors and um, consultants um, in the school that I went to. So it really denotes that we have a, a training in the Western medical sciences, if you want to call it that. And that we are also trained to work safely alongside pharmaceutical medicine, which is very important, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And that we're also trained to work with plant, 
plants, plant medicines. In our practice, a lot of us also, because we work very holistically, as you would expect, we talk about supplements. Some herbalists are more into giving supplements to their patients than others. I tend to be very light touch on supplements. Um, we also work on nutrition um, and we work on lifestyle advice. And when you see a herbalist, so you can basically go to see a herbalist um, for really anything you would go to see your family doctor about. Some people use us as an alternative Uh, Some people come to us because they have chronic health conditions that are not being well managed under the uh, pharmaceutical system. Uh, For some people, it's it's more like a lifestyle choice. They would prefer to come to a herbalist than to use pharmaceutical medicine. And ironically, uh, quite often, um, I spend my time with some people kind of helping them get back to their doctors and explaining to them that actually they really do need to go and take the pharmaceutical treatment. And quite often we bridge that gap if patients have maybe had negative experience. Um, We're quite often the people who are taking the time to listen to them because we have the the luxury of time that GPs in the UK at least really don't have. Mm. But we can often be guiding them as to really where the herbs can help but where actually they do need to go and take pharmaceutical medicine. So I hope that does that explain. Do you think? It, do you feel it does, like clear about what we do? It does, and there's a few things that um, I'm thinking. Which a few things I like to respond on. One, one right at the start, you talked about how people often get you mixed up for um, homeopaths. Yeah. So maybe go dig more into that. So what is the difference, and why do you think it is that people get you mixed up with them? Okay. Yeah. Good point. So homeopathic medicine um, really was born out of um, the 1900s. And it's a very specific um, way of using not just plants, but minerals and animal parts sometimes as well to create um, medicines in an infinitesimally tiny, tiny dose. The idea being that by giving your body the thing that would cause the symptoms you've got, there's an information exchange, your body will respond and resolve the thing that you have. Okay, so that's where homeopathy, the the, the basic idea of it is that like cures like. So a really good example of that would be if you have a bee sting and you go to homeopath, they will give you a homeopathic dose of bee sting. Right? Right. So they give you the same thing or something that would cause the same symptoms. Right. Herbal medicine comes from the same trajectory. So homeopathic medicine is actually quite young. Herbal medicine comes from the same trajectory as our pharmaceutical medicine today. So we have the same lineage. And at some point, and our philosophy is um, that opposites heal. So if you come to me and you have a fever... I'm not like the homeopath would give you something that would make you hot. I'm going to give you something that's going to cool you down. And that yeah. allopathic medicine. A mm. lot of people just think allopathic is pharmaceutical. It's not. What happened was that herbal medicine was all we used to have. And we yeah. used it in an allopathic way. And then at some point, there was a split. And one family went down the road of, of pursuing the ph- what became the pharmaceutical. And the other half of the branch of the family remained working with the plants okay um so what about you know we hear a lot about chinese and you know sort of oriental herbal medicine and kind of natural medicine how are there any links how how closely or not are they related 
hugely related. So essentially, the thing I love about herbal medicine is that every place where there have been humans on the planet, there has been herbal medicine. And we Mm. know that going back through archaeological records, archaeological digs. If you remember Utzi the Iceman, who was found on the top of the Italian Alps, he had his little pack of herbs um, in his in his pouch and he had some herbs in his tummy actually as well things that taste very bitter that you wouldn't you absolutely wouldn't have chosen to eat um but um actually are used to treat constipation so we think i'd see the ice man was actually a bit constipated when he was hit over the back of the head on the top of the italian alps um so it really is for all people and it is in all places and of course before the world was so connected each place came up with its theories around how medicine or how these plants acted in the body. Mm. And one of those theories is what became herbal medicine. We call ourselves, well, my training is in in traditional Western herbal medicine. Okay. So we have the Western um, theory and then we have the traditional Chinese medicine, which was born out of a different culture. And then we have Ayurvedic medicine, which was born out of the culture of India. And then we have Anani Tib, which was uh, uh, came out of the culture of sort of the Middle Eastern part of the world. And essentially what it is, is it's, it's people trying to explain what happens when you put a herb in to the body, how it affects change. And um, each one of these has a different philosophy and a different way of doing it. And they're all equally valid. It's a bit like, so some people say to me, for example, in Chinese medicine, they talk about the liver and how they describe the liver. Now we know that it's not really the liver. It's not really what the actual liver that we know is there. It's what their idea of the liver 2000 years ago did. So if you ever read a text about Chinese medicine, you'll see livers denoted with a capital L to differentiate it. And people will say, well, that's rubbish. That's not what happens. And I'll say, yeah, but did the the effect happen? Yes, it did. Well, it's just that the story about how it did it isn't quite right, isn't it? And that's the the theoretical part is just, you know. And, of course, each of these schools of thought will use – the the medicines that are indigenous to those countries much more mm. but yeah. we cross-pollinate a lot nowadays i think right well and in that cross-pollination you're talking about so we're it's been often many doctors and i've and i've you know read in many books about how it's advisable to eat local food when possible because mm. that has more benefits for us i'm wondering is does the same apply to herbs is it does it make much of a difference if you're using using local herbs as opposed to herbs from australia or somewhere that's a really good question. I think that uh, traditionally, there actually is a lovely story in herbal medicine, um, in Western herbal medicine, where we say that um, the plants that you need will turn up in your garden. Right. And I can't tell you how many times I've actually witnessed that happen. It's just, it's a lovely thought, isn't it? That nature's kind of coming to you and saying, this is what you need. Hmm. Um, so I think that there is a similar thing there that when you are using the herbs that grow around where you live mm. um, there is a there is a there is a, a, a special connection there it's a bit mm. like you know us getting used to the water where we live right. it's going to be very different if we move to another part of the world isn't it mm. um, it's it's like uh, when you're trying to treat hay fever symptoms with honey it's got to be the local honey because it's the same pollen that the bees are working with so 
yes, I think that there is something in that. Mm. However, not only do we have access to almost all of the herbs now, but we don't tend to stay in one place anymore. So what do you say to someone who's just come to the UK, for example? So, for example, my husband is from southern Germany. The plants there, yes, there are similarities, but there's there are great differences as well, and the traditions are different. So what does he do? Does he import West German, you know, southern German herbs into Scotland, or does he? So I I think what I do see happening a lot in the world now is that we are constantly looking for the next big thing, the next big superfood, the next super herb, the next adaptogen or, you know, nootropic or whatever. And they all seem to, they never are the ones in your backyard, are they? Nobody wants the nettles, poor nettles. Nobody's interested in them. Everybody wants something that comes from, you know, I don't know, Upper Bolivia, you know, Peru or the African desert or something. And there are Mm. inherent issues in that. Not only thinking about the traveling, you know, the food miles, herb miles, let's call them, but also thinking about what were the conditions for the people there? Did we take that in a sensitive manner? Were the people properly recompensed? Did they have, you know, there's, there's all sorts of issues there. So, I'm more and more, I've been in practice now since 2006 and I used to, oh, this new herb and oh, this new one. And actually in the last few years, particularly with the pandemic and Brexit hitting supply chains, that really galvanised me to be much more interested in, well, what's right outside my door and what actually can I do this with my own plants? Because they would be seen as exotic to someone on the other side of the world, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And to get a bit more into growing my own um, and wildcrafting much more than I did before, which was born out of necessity, I have to say, at the, at the beginning of the pandemic, when a lot of stuff just was not available. But I get the impression from what you've just said, there are some herbs that may have to come from, from various other countries, yeah. not whether it's at the other side of the world or not. Yeah. that are very useful for us and maybe we don't they don't grow locally yeah. but what is the what is the shelf life like and, and how important is it the packaging and, and so on well it's really important um and uh yeah that that's a huge question because there's no guide there's a lot, a lot about herbal medicine I, I teach in herbal school and I say to my uh, second year students like herbal medicine is going to drive you mad because there are so many gray areas Hmm. really and that's where to me herbal medicine is both a science and an art you know we need to be trained to be extremely safe and at the same time there's a lot of of artistry in how we bring herbs together we know that they work well together so we reckon that for example if I get a dried herb into my dispensary um because that's another thing I should say about medical herbalists is we all have our own dispensaries. We have the right to make our own medicines for our patients. We can't sell to the public, but we Mm -hmm. can make medicines for our patients and each medicine is made specifically for them. So Mm -hmm. really six people can come to me with eczema and every one of them is going to go with a different herbal mix because it's so bespoke to their situation. But if, if, for example, dried herb comes into my dispensary, first of all, I'm going to do checks on it. So I'm going to make sure if it's a herb I expect to be aromatic that it is. And they tend to go off more quickly. And I'm going to keep that for a maximum of six months. Whereas herbal tinctures, so that's where you take a herb and you extract it. It's an alcohol extract. They're so stable. It's a bit like looking at a bottle of whiskey and thinking, well, when's that going to go off? It's never going to go off. 
Some herbs with certain constituents, you'll see them start to filter out over time. But Mm. all that would happen really is that they would slowly, very slowly lose efficacy and, and actually... You know, so now we see our suppliers putting use-by dates on the herbal bottles. Previously, we were thinking, you know, as a ballpark figure, it's probably good for five years. But, you know, there's nothing going off about it. Essentially, the best herbal medicine you can get, I think, though, is something you've picked yourself and it's fresh. There's a few plants you can't do that with, but to have that interaction as well. And that interaction with nature is also part of the healing. You know, it's part of it. Yeah, yeah. So you just talked about the how you customize the whatever you know you you use for each of the patients you're working with and six different patients might have six different formulas depending on what their issue is so if someone does come to you with something like asthma or eczema or whatever how do you establish what is the right way to use for them okay this is a really this is a, a huge box that we've opened so let me keep it as simple as possible um in herbal medicine in all the traditional herbal um Uh, schools of thought Um, we work on the basis of what's called a constitutional type so that means that although all bodies are different and we see everyone as an individual so we don't do standardized things you know um, there, there is a branch of herbal medicine which is more termed phytotherapy and those are the people who are more likely to use standardized extracts so curcumin instead of turmeric you know taking out that one chemical and standardizing it to make sure you have an exact dose medical herbalists like me are much more likely to use the whole plant um, or whole part of the plant um, instead of um, uh, changing the chemical makeup of it so constitutional types at their most basic level is if you think of yourself on a hot cold damp dry axis Mm. You will sit somewhere on the hot-cold scale. You might be fairly near to the middle. If you were an extremely hot person, you were likely to not be able to sit out in the heat, get lots of hot, rashy, you know, skin rashes, and it would be itchy, and, you know, um, you would tend to get heating things like um, acid indigestion, maybe, or things like that. So there'd be hot. We're looking for patterns here hot patterns in your body. If you're colder, you're likely to love being out in the sunshine, be very cold in the winter, going to be a challenging time for you, um, not be able to digest cold foods very well, like to eat hot things. And the same with the moist and the dry. So the moist people tend to get, you know, if they get a cold, it goes into their chest and tends to be a bit phlegmy. You know, they get, there's wet patterns there. And the dry people would tend to sort of dry horse sore throats, dry skin, that kind of thing. So if you think of yourself in that, you're going to land up in one of those four quadrants. And if you are a person with eczema and you come to my clinic and you're a hot, damp person, your eczema is likely to have those qualities about it. So we all know somebody who's had awful eczema, it's red, it's itchy, it's fiery, they're clawing at it, it's likely to break the skin and be weepy. And you think of the cold, dry constitutional type with eczema, we probably all have come across someone whose eczema is really not that much of a bother for them. It's kind of scaly, it looks sort of purpley blue, it's probably not very itchy, and it probably is a bit flaky, and that's probably it. So that cold, dry person 
my strategy is going to be to smother that in ointment and heat their body up. And you can see that if I do that for Mr. Hot Damp person, my reputation's in shreds. They're never coming back and they probably won't ever go to see a herbalist again. And so it's by looking at the qualities of the symptoms and the qualities of the body in front of us that we make the decision on, well, which of these herbs actually are going to be beneficial for those people and what treatment strategy is going to work. And one of the things that went through my mind as you were explaining that, and this, I mean, I am am a bit peculiar, so I should warn you that in the first place, but when you talked about the hot and the cold, for example, I've got, some of my friends think I'm very strange because I lived on the equator for seven years and I also lived in the Arctic Circle for 18 months. And and heat doesn't bother me. I could withstand much hotter days than even the locals could. But on the other hand, I'm known, my nickname is the Esky because cold doesn't really bother me. So it's like, where do I sit on that? Okay, so there will be other things that go on and there are other, so that's it, it's very simple form. But there will be other patterns in there that say, so you may be really close to the middle and that would be unusual on the hot, cold scale. And on the other scale, you might be slightly to the side. You might be the dead centre person. You know, that's absolutely possible. Maybe you are, maybe you've got that, Maybe you've got it all sorted and you've got that all in balance. But by seeing what does come up for you, what patterns do come up for you. And also, you know, obviously this is a, this is a podcast, so we're not doing visuals here. But no. also I can I can see you right now and I can see automatically there are several things that are like, oh, right, okay, you would probably fit into that category. Right. So, so as a... So that's it in its basic state. And what happens when you go to... Ayurvedic medicine or TCM or Inani Tib, which I don't know so much about, I must say, or the Western tradition, is that they will build around a picture of a constitutional type based on that type. And then the advice in terms of dietary advice, herbs we would use, um, ways we'd suggest you exercise and relax, things we'd expect to be challenging for you come with that model. And um, I think you know, we're all born a certain constitutional type. And over time, you know, life happens, doesn't it? And it chucks things on top of us. So quite often what you find is someone's battling with something that's not actually how their body wants to be at the moment. So they might be very cold and damp. Well, a good example would be a cold, damp, um, constitutional type woman going through menopause, suddenly raging hot and dry skin. So her current situation is that's needing attention is the hot dryness but underneath that you know so essentially the idea is that we all have all of these qualities in us um some situations in life and some choices that we make will give us too much of those qualities and the easy thing to remember is to just to bring yourself back into balance give yourself some of the opposite you know so if you do get really cold uh, cold digestion you're not digesting well try some warming spices right. if spicy food gives you heartburn avoid it have cooling things you know it's really very simple but that's the basis on which um, we would build prescriptions you, you took there about um you mentioned about if someone i think if someone was very dry you might use ointments and, and so on <laughs> one of the things i've noticed in the last couple of years is that there seems to be a lot of people selling oils and they don't necessarily seem to be well, the impression I get is is I wonder how much training they've really had in this, just from the way they talk about them. 
Do you, what would you say about those? Do you mean essential oils? Yeah. Yeah, I'm really worried about that situation. I'm glad you right. brought that up. Um, and, I, and I'm just thinking, what can I say without something coming back to bite me? Um, what I think I would say is that essential oils are largely all produced in the same way. Right. And there are uh, some people talking about medical grade. As far as I am aware, that does not exist. Right. Um and to give you an idea, so as part of my training in the school that I went to, we also had to train to be to do deep tissue massage, which was a great idea because as students, it was my second career, but as students in year two, by year two, you were a qualified massage therapist. You could start a business that would see you through the rest of your four-year herbal, herbal training. Hmm. Um, it also got us used to moving bodies around. And so when we do physical examinations, we were more confident because we were used to what lots of bodies physically felt like. And then you can pick up when something's not right. Mm. Um, And in year three, we studied aromatherapy. And it was a clinical aromatherapy was the name of the of the um, the training that we did. There is a tradition of using essential oils internally on the continent in france they do it quite often but their their traditions are very different from ours most herbalists most medical herbalists never use essential oils internally because they are so strong they can be very toxic um they can wipe out your microbiome because you know they are they're they're unbelievably concentrated plant essences and for myself, I would not, unless I had very specialist training in it, this is on top of my four years of medical training, be comfortable giving anyone essential oils to take internally. Mm. And so when I see products being sold by people who do not have the, tr- the extent of training and suggesting that it's taken internally, I get very worried about that. Mm. Yeah, that does sound concerning. And I, I mean, I, as I said, I've spoken to a few people. Well, people have been trying to sell me it. Or, I know what you mean. <laughs> and also people trying to get me to sell it. And then they've, I, I went through this this um, presentation once and it was this our presentation. And it was like what I needed to learn in order to sell these products. It seemed like it was going to be a few hours or something, essentially. Yeah. And they are very strong. Don't get me wrong. So you're taking the plant matter and where we're using it in its whole form. You know, when I say whole, I might not mean like the whole plant root leaves, but you know, whatever. I might mean like dandelion root, for example, but we wouldn't mess around with the root or Mm. peppermint or lavender. We would take the above ground parts. What you find often in, um, in nature is that people have this misconception that natural medicine is all safe. It's not. I have belladonna in my dispensary. It's certainly not safe. It's kept under lock and key and given, you know, in tiny doses. Um, In in a lot of herbs, you will find that they're, especially ones that we use in small doses, you'll find there are active constituents in there that can cause problems for the body. What you will often, brackets, but not always, exclamation mark, (laughs) um, close brackets, find is the antidote to that is within the whole herb because when you look at a herb when you look at a pharmaceutical 
you're looking at a single chemical. It's laser sharp focus. It goes in, it takes over function in the body and it does its job, Mm. right? Very often, that will mean that some people will find that they have um, side effects or as I like to call them effects because they're not side, they are also effects. I am not anti-pharmaceutical medicine. A lot of people expect medical herbalists to be. I am absolutely not because I've worked out in areas, for for example, in East Africa, where people didn't have an option. And I am very, I feel very lucky to have the choice between both types of medicine. So Mm. you'll never find me knocking pharmaceutical medicine. But sometimes it's really problematic. And that's where herbs can sometimes come along and help with those side effects. That's the thing that can be done. But what you find with the herb is that instead of one chemical, you've got two, three hundred. We don't even have names for some of them. We roughly know what they do. Others, we really don't have a clue. What we're basing our evidence on is empirical evidence over hundreds and sometimes thousands of years where people meticulously noted down what these herbs did because that's all that they had. So they knew Uh them to incredible depths. But you'll find in some herbs that... Well, a good example would be Cava Cava, which is now banned in the UK. We used to be able to get it. It was a very useful herb for anxiety and sleep disturbance. So what happened with Cava Cava was Cava Cava has a a very active part called a Cava Lactone. And it also has a lot of glutathione, which is basically protects the liver from the Cava Lactone and the damage that Cava Lactones can do. And I'm going to get these figures wrong, but this is an example. I'm not very good at remembering exact figures. But for example, it's it's something like one cavalactone always to 10 glutathione uh-huh. is, would be the ratio. But there's a lot more glutathione than cavalactone. Company in the States decided to make an over-the-counter herbal product, decided to standardize the extract, make it very strong, messed up the relationship between the cavalactone and the glutathione, so they made it, it was like one cavalactone to 0.0001 glutathione. Guess what happened? People had liver issues. I think one person even died. Result, it's banned. So when we start messing around with it, then we can find that, that you know, there can be negative consequences like that, for example. So it's really important. We don't think that herbal medicine is... is um, uh, is safe just because it's natural because that's absolutely not true Hmm. when you work with essential oils you've essentially extracted a tiny part of that you've really messed about with that plant chemistry and Hmm. you're giving an ultra concentrated dose to people and that's where that for me is not not a safe thing to do we hope you're enjoying this episode of the habits and health podcast where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy If you're looking for the fastest and most effective way to transform your energy and well-being, we invite you to join Tony for an upcoming Habits and Health Workshop. This five-week group workshop will empower you with tools to disrupt unwanted habits and make positive changes easy. You'll enjoy sounder sleep, better energy, less stress and a happier mood. Workshops begin on the first week of every month and you can sign up now at tonywinyard.com. Now, back to the show. But I'd be right in saying that essential oils can be efficacious, but you need to... Who, who would you go and see in order to use them correctly? You would go and see an aromatherapist. 
Right. If you wanted to have them. So for me, essential oils, I would, and, and there is some specialist training that you can do. I know one herbalist in the UK has done it um, to take them internally, but really it is specialist training and it tends to come out of France, it tends to be a French thing. Um, I would be seeing, so for me, there are things either to inhale or put on your skin right. in a medium like oil to stop them from burning your skin because right. most of them uh, a lot or a lot of them will cause um ir- re- irritation on the skin some will actually burn um you don't want that in your intestinal tract do you really mm-hmm. if it's going to give you a skin you know make your skin really sore and red we just don't want to be doing that so right. aromatherapist or most medical herbalists will be trained to use aromatherapy oils i put them in creams i might suggest them as inhalations but for me that's as far as it would go uh, quite when you were first introducing yourself and talking about what herbalist is and so on, and you, you took you touched upon supplements, so I'm I'm just wondering about what type of sort of supplements is it you're using, and are you also able to um, prescribe, you know, uh, medical supplements? I mean, what, what is? Could you tell me more about supplements? Okay, yeah, sure. So um, a supplement to me would be vitamin, mineral. Um, you know, um, antioxidants, um, you know, all these kind of things, quercetin and CoQ10 and digestive enzymes and all that kind of stuff. Um, so none of them would be in the medical realm. Uh, they would all be um, designated as food supplements. So um, I can't prescribe anything that's in the medical realm, pharmaceutical world. Um, I can prescribe food supplements. Um, I prefer and this is just a personal thing really to keep supplementation to a minimum and i know that there's loads of amazing evidence to show that if you take this it does this and if you take that it does that and sometimes it's warranted absolutely but i was taught to look at the vitamins minerals and enzymes in your body like a web a very finely woven web and what happens when you dose and one is that you have an effect on several other things Hmm. and often we're not aware of that so for me if somebody was very supplement focused i would tend to send them to um a naturopath or to because we do have a lot of overlap with naturopaths but they tend to be more supplement focused or i would send them maybe to a functional medicine doctor Um, so that they could do the sort of running tests and checking all the other things. I could do that. It's just not an area I'm that interested in. So I tend to keep it very basic. So if I'm, for example, someone comes to me around, I don't know, it might be a menopausal woman thinking about bone health, rather than prescribing her calcium and vitamin D or magnesium or whatever, I would probably look for a really good bone supplement or bone health supplement that had been thought through by one of the companies that I really trust to make sure that I'm not loading up on one thing and, and um, causing an issue with something else. Okay. You know, when we were sort of communicating with each other before, before the recording, you talked, you told me about a couple of habits that you found helpful in your life. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I think, So I came to herbal medicine because I was working in film production uh, in the 90s and um, I I pretty much reached burnout. 
And I thought it was great when I was told I was getting my own runner to go and get my, you know, get my sandwich and make my coffee and all the rest of it. And I thought I'd made it. And then I realized it was an absolute trap because it just kept me at my desk for longer because I was in the production team. And so coming out of that very high paced environment, I tend as a person to run at things very quickly. I have to work really hard. I do a lot of online training, particularly with women who find it very hard to stop. The reason I do that is because I find it really hard to stop. So I put all these kind of mechanisms in place. So one of the things that I found really helpful on that journey to finding a bit more balance and health is just to check in with what nature is doing. You know, everyone can access nature, even if you're just looking out your window at the clouds. You know, you don't need to live in... You know, you can be in the city centre of London. In fact, one of my teachers lived in, he used to do her books on Moswell Hill in the centre of, of London. And he his practice was there and he was the most connected to nature person I've ever met. He's sadly no longer with us. Um, but everybody can check in with what nature is doing. And if you are aware of then the challenges that certain seasons bring you. So we all know the season we like the best, right? And we all know the bits of the seasons that we find difficult. So, you know, um, January and February are really difficult months for some people. They find the light levels low. They find, oh, they've got through Christmas. It's a while to go. You know, the weather's awful. They're not getting out. We know our struggling points in the year. So see it coming towards you. And think about what are you going to do to head that off a little bit, you know, just um, in terms of, you know, if you get heat rashes and things in the summertime, how are you going to head that off at the past? Are you going to notice, oh, summer's coming, maybe I'll, you know, or you know hay fever time is coming for you. Right, let me do something about that this year instead of always being on the back foot with it. So that would be one thing is just stop and check in. It is, I swear, that linking into nature, even if it's just a out the window, is the quickest, easiest, most profound, it's even the cheapest way to recalibrate yourself and improve your well-being. You know, we know now that walking, going for a walk and doing it in nature has multiple benefits. There's so many research studies on that now. So that's number one. Number two would be stop reaching for that same old cuppa. But you just, you know, when someone says you want a cuppa and you have a thing that is your version of a cuppa and the relevant people in your life will know what that means. Well, I'd really encourage people to just mix that up once in a while, because if you are, I mean, essentially, if you're if you're living a modern day life, you are going to be stressed or chronically stressed at some level. Right. We may not feel it, but it's not how our bodies were built. Our bodies were built for living in caves. Right. Fight the tiger, flee the tiger, rest. We don't do that anymore. So chronic stress could be your inbox or it could be your boss or it could be, I don't know, your debt situation or something. It doesn't go away. So we've got chronic stress going on and we keep feeding it caffeine all the time and we just keep reaching for the same thing. If you could hack your hot drinks and make them herbal tonics for your body, you would have, I don't know, four, five, six opportunities a day to give your body something that it really needs and will really nourish it. And so I'm not telling people they have to give up coffee and tea because I like coffee and tea. But what I'm saying is you're probably not even enjoying it by cup number four. It's just another thing. Spice it up a bit. 
luckily, um, companies have made that really easy for people because now there are so many herbal teas available, some with caffeine based on green tea, some without. Um, in the supermarkets, you can get a hold of them. They're not expensive. They're easy to access. And I promise they do not taste like the 1990s fruit teas that you felt like they were stripping the enamel off your teeth. They were awful. Um, and as you know, too, one of my roles as a herbalist is not just being in clinic, but also is helping product development across several companies. And the key one that I work with is Twinings, and um, I'm behind their Super Blends range of teas. There are lots of other companies doing really good work, too, but obviously those are my, my babies, so they're my favourites. If you can just go out, and if you've got an extra two, three quid, which is not a big ask for most people, to try some of those flavours and go after the names of things that you feel you need, like rest or relax or, you know, digest, if that's an issue, and start experimenting, your day will not only, you know, be kind of bursting with new flavours, but you're actually, those are legitimately how we have taken herbal medicine for many, many years. And so it's a great way to support your well-being. That's a great tip. It's a really useful tip. I'm wondering what, is there, um, if I was to guess, and I'm probably going to be completely wrong with this guess, but if I was to guess why most people would go and see a herbalist, it would be a lot of things along the lines of hay fever and so on. But what, what is the actual truth? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, right. Some people just are really fed up with their hay fever and just wanted to get on top of it. I would say that as is probably fairly normal with clinical situations, and all my clinics are online now, um, uh, I get vastly more women than men. But we know that that is a thing, you know, in all healthcare situations that women tend to step forward and ask for help sooner. Mm. Um, and quite often men get asked to go and then they, you know. Um, I have a, there's a wonderful herbalist in, um, in Ireland and he says he has an, he says now if he gets, you know, uh, a man coming to the, the, the his clinic and saying, my wife sent me or my partner sent me or my, you know, my boyfriend sent me or whatever, um, he says, okay, um, I'm going to ask you to leave now and I'm going to ask you to come back when you can send yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is just brilliant. And so I do turn that into a bit of a story that I tell when I'm testing. If someone's booked in with me, it's like, oh, my so-and-so sent me. Right. If you don't want to be there, it's a waste of your time and money. It's a waste of my time. Let's not do it. Right. Let's come. Let's do it when you feel like it. So I would say vastly more women. Right. Um, I would say about two-thirds of those women, it will be um, menopausal symptoms. Right. A lot of women very confused about the HRT question uh not sure what to do um really struggling with symptoms um a lot of uh, kind of you know skin things a lot of you know stuff like um adult acne and eczema and hay fever and that kind of thing i mean really and and i have to say so we're very limited that i'm a member of the national institute of medical herbalists which is the biggest I think so but certainly the oldest representation of herbalists in the UK we also have international members and we we can't advertise you know we have to conduct ourselves in the same manner as as a as a doctor would um so all of my practice is about word of mouth so quite mm -hmm. often people will already have heard of someone who's been to see you and that just kind of takes time for that to roll through I think 
And what, so what you were saying there, it sounds like a lot of the people that will be seeing you would be in the older age bracket. But what about people with, say, fertility, pregnancy issues mm-hmm. and so on? Absolutely, yes. See a lot of that as well. Um, right. And I, um, yeah, in fact, at the moment, I've just had an intake of several uh, women who are struggling to either get pregnant or remain pregnant. Um, and I think that the treatments that are on offer um, from on, on the NHS or in private clinics are really important, particularly if time is ticking for them. Hmm. Um and so sometimes what they're saying is, I don't want to do that, or I've been refused treatment. I want you to try everything you can. Mm. And a lot of that's about managing expectation. But sometimes what we're doing is they're maybe on a waiting list for IVF or something like that, or it's maybe been a while and nothing's happened and they're anxious. And you uncover that they've actually had issues with their cycle from when they were stuck on the pill when they were 18 years old and no one's ever told them there was an issue. No one's ever dealt with it. So you know, one of the things I kind of stand on my soapbox about is if you are, you know, thinking of starting a family as a, as a woman wanting to start a family, if you were popped on the pill when you were a teenager because your periods were a problem, you need to sort that out. That You can't just expect you to come off the pill and that will go away. You need to have that extra time. And that's something that can respond really well. So often it's the lead up to the big interventions that we're doing. And if someone manages to get pregnant along the way, then happy days that's a a, just such a special journey to be on with women um but yes all that all of that kind of thing as well and anxiety and stress and all of those I don't know what's wrong with me but I just don't feel right or I think Mm. a lot of people are finding it a bit difficult to access their GPs at the moment yeah um and so I'm certainly finding Mm. my books are you know I'm having to hold off and and stop new patients for a little while to look after the ones I've got and then that's happened a few times in the last two years are there any um I'm wondering for the people listening and maybe have never spoken to a herbalist never seen a herbalist what might surprise them in how a herbalist might be able to help them are there any things that people probably wouldn't think of that actually a herbalist could probably help them with Mm, good question I think that people often just don't think about herbal medicine as an option Mm. and I think one of my real kind of driving forces if you like is for people to generally think about herbal medicine seriously consider it as part of the natural steps through their healthcare. I mean you would naturally go to a GP you would naturally um, speak to your pharmacist. What, why would you not? And I just think it goes back to what you said at the beginning about, well, what is a herbalist? You know, mm. you had heard of it, of herbalist, but didn't, didn't know so much. Mm. I think we don't have a very great presence. Yeah. And um, that's something we need to get better at, which is why I'm always very happy to be on, you know, mm. things like podcasts to raise awareness. Look, there's about, I don't know, 600 or 700 of us in the UK. We do exist we are trained to be very safe. We don't have pointy hats and cauldrons. <laughs> uh, it's not that kind of thing. We can do this in a very modern, safe way. And I think the thing that people are surprised about is that we are trained to work safely alongside medication that they take. Mm-hmm. What I worry about is because we have so many over-the-counter products available. So anything you're going into a health food shop to buy will have been properly 
put together, the labelling will be correct, any um, concerns or contraindications will be on the bottle, you know, or on the package. Mm. But there's so many people go to Amazon and they're like, they buy stuff and it turns up in a package of powder or a pack of dried herbs. And I'm saying, how do you know what that actually is? How do you know? The only instances we have had in the UK of serious... um, poisoning with herbal medicine there's not been a single case to date recorded for someone coming through a medical herbalist it's all over the counter and most of that has been bought over the internet you have no idea what you're buying and that worries me because i think a lot of people don't they assume that there won't be an interaction or it's just herbs that's really safe like we were saying before And there are lots of interactions you need to watch out for. And so they can be prescribing for themselves willy-nilly and doing damage. And a lot of people won't tell the doctor what they're taking because they don't want to look silly. I think that's the other worry as well. So say say someone, um, so this isn't just about herbs, but Mm. if someone, you touched upon this earlier, that we hear, if you are listening to podcasts, reading books on health and so on, there's all these various supplements and and herbs that are, you know, the, the new wonder drug. Uh, this is going to be this is going to solve all your all your worries. And so, someone it's it's easily to be influenced by marketing. So people can end up buying lots of different supplements, and maybe they're taking a whole variety of different supplements. And you touched upon that, yes, you know, maybe they sh- they a good point of action would be to see someone like a functional medicine doctor to to have tests. But if if someone maybe can't afford to go to see a functional medicine doctor, but they have got all these these supplements and maybe herbs as well, and they really haven't got a clue which ones are helping them and which ones aren't. What what might be, what would you suggest that they could do? Well, I think that one of the things I would suggest they do and often ends up saving them a whole lot of money is, you know, find your local medical herbalist and have an appointment with them. It's unlikely to cost any more than your supplements are costing. And they will be able to. So quite often people come in, they'll come with a bag. Like, that's what I'm taking. And I'm like, oh, wow, right, okay. So what often happens is you actually massively simplify what's going on because these supplements are cheap. So I think if you're spending lots of money, especially if you're buying them every month, Really think about, so functional medicine doctors tend to cost a lot more than going to see a medical herbalist. I'm generalizing, but Mm. if you went to the National Institute of Medical Herbalist website, which I think is NIM, N-I-M-H dot org dot UK, there's a find a herbalist function. You can look by postcode. Lots of us are working online as well at the moment. So you could book an appointment and and you could say, this is what I want to do is I want to rationalize what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, with these supplements. Um, if you really don't have the money to do that, I would suggest that you stop everything and you stick with one thing at a time. So you meticulously go down and you stop everything. And also those things, because you probably, if you're in that situation, you're probably buying stuff and thinking, oh, that's not working, chucking it in the back of the cupboard. You've probably got a fortune sitting in the back of the cupboard. That's just such a waste. And it's not a good use of money either. Hmm. So what I would do is go back to absolute basics. Start with something like 
a multivit or if you're taking a vitamin D or C or whatever. And maybe to so take the basic things and take them for at least two weeks and then decide, do you feel better or no change? Right. And then either stop it or add the next one in. Right. And the really expensive, fancy ones, leave them to the end because right. you probably don't need them. And I also don't think it's great for us to be supplementing forever and ever and ever and ever. We need breaks from everything, right. you know? So I would do that. I would just do your own, be your own research, right. researcher and look at it one by one. Before I'm, I'm, I'm going to change direction in a minute, talking about books and stuff. Before I do, is there any area of herbs and that I haven't asked you about that you think, think it would be useful for people to know? Um, not, I think maybe it's just useful to think about herbs as um, it's possible for them to be an alternative treatment so you can do some things with herbs alone and not need the pharmaceuticals Mm. sometimes that's not an appropriate thing to do and you Mm. need the pharmaceuticals as we touched on so i think people get caught up sometimes in is 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 herbal medicine complementary to pharmaceutical or alternative Mm. my answer would be it can be absolutely both but you need a practitioner to tell you which is the safe route for you i get a lot of people in fact i've had four or five emails this week People who have read their family members or themselves, actually it's mostly family members it's been this week, diagnosed with cancer, sometimes quite advanced. Mm. Um, someone yesterday said, I've heard that dandelion leaf can kill this particular cell line of cancer. Should mm. they do that instead? Ugh. Massive, big red flag. And I always mm. take the time to get back to these people and say, for a start, as a medical herbalist, I am not allowed to treat cancer. I'm not, I'm absolutely not allowed to. There's two things I can't treat, sexually transmitted diseases and cancer, not allowed. So what I can do is I can support a person through that. But even with 16 years of herbal practice under my belt, I have a specialist mentor to help me do that because it's so complicated. And yes, in a Petri dish, maybe those dandelion leaves did kill that cancer cell. Is that going to be good for that person on treatment? And if they're thinking about it as an alternative, it's an absolute no. It is a massively complex area. Uh Yes, we can support, but we wouldn't be frontline treatment. So there's that. Um, And so it can be alternative sometimes, can be complementary sometimes can be used alongside pharmaceuticals with caution and care and i think sometimes with my patients i'll say oh i'll write a letter to your doctor about that and they'll say can you can you do that yes well yes i can i can have a conversation with your gp some gps don't want to hear from me Mm. but a lot are actually interested and they should be interested in what their patients are taking so i think the thing i'd want to get across is the breadth of how herbal medicine can help you right if we're okay. aware of it. And just one other thing that's popped into my mind, would someone speak to you, a herbalist, if they wanted to do simple things like change the cleaning products they're using, using a combination of herbs instead or, or some, things along those lines? Um, 
you could do. So it wouldn't be a thing that would really come through clinic. I do some online um, training courses where we've touched on those kind of things. So I recently did with a cohort of women I was working with. Um, we did, um, what, which, which lessons did we do? We did a detox your weekly shopping list. We did a detox your cleansing regime, your skin regime. And we did a detox your cleaning cupboard. Um, And so I think you could definitely reach out to a medical herbalist for some ideas. Um, There's some fabulous books out. Um, A lady called Pip Waller has written a book called, oh, I think it's called The Home Apothecary. Um, And there's there's some, I think that's probably more something you would find resources in book terms. There's loads of things out there that you could try. Um, I quite often get asked to write for the media, um, for, you know, for articles and things like that. It's quite often the kind of thing that would, you know, I did a recent one um, about six months ago, I think it was for The Sun or something. They were doing something on, you know, natural cleaners. So there's certainly right. loads of information. It's not something you would book through a clinic um, right. to find out about. Unless it was part of something you were being seen for, like a skin condition, and it was part of the treatment plan, we could do that for sure. But yeah, right. reach out. Herbalists are happy to talk to people. That's the mm-hmm. thing. I think. So is there um, a, a question, a couple of questions now as we get into towards the end, I always yeah. ask every guest. So is there a book that's really moved you, Pamela? Yes. Um, it, well, coming out of the film and television industry and having been a literature student before, I mean, there's a gazillion books. Um, but the one that I think has moved me most recently is called The Beekeeper of Aleppo. It's a beautiful tale about a refugee from Syria looking at his life there before the war and and it details the um his journey to get to the UK and it in it, it it's very disturbing it really helped me understand what the refugees have been through when by the time that they get here and he was a beekeeper at home and he talks about his connection with nature and the bees and the fact that the bees have been in his family forever And when he comes, it's this connection with nature that keeps him going through his whole journey. And when he finally makes it to the UK and settles somewhere, he sets up, uh, he starts to talk to other refugees about the bees. And then at the end of the book, I found out that this guy is real. And I was so amazed. And he's actually set up a charity. I think he's in Yorkshire. And what he does is he brings in refugees and he trains them to work with bees. And it's a way of them healing, but it's also a way of them connecting to this new land. Because I suddenly thought, gosh, if you turn up in the UK and you have no connection to the land, how are you going to do this thing I talk about all the time about connecting with nature to help to heal yourself? Mm. You need an avenue. You need a gateway to help you because otherwise you're probably going to be stuck in an inner city, not seeing very much of it. And Mm. I just, I thought it was such an amazing story. And I think Mm. his work is phenomenal. Wow. That sounds very interesting. I'll have to look into that. Mm. Um, If people want to find out more about you, where where would they look? So you can go to uh, my website is Pamela Spence. Uh, .co.uk mm-hmm. um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and I'm just Facebook and it's slash Pamela Spence Herbalist same on Instagram I'm on LinkedIn as well um, where I am medical herbalist um, if people would like to 
have a free guide to the teas that I was talking about, how to think about using herbal teas easily in your day. It's not going to cost you any more time and very little money. Mm -hmm. Then go to my website. Um, There's a pop-up if you sign up for my um, emails. I send an email a week or a blog. I do blog post every week. Um, They can sign up there and they'll get that free guide. Fantastic. And and to finish, is there is there a quote you particularly like? Uh, yeah, there's one I have above my desk, which is um, I actually don't know where it came from. Now I've I've written on so many different post-its every time I've changed where I work, um, but it says I vow to follow the ancient gardeners and allow the plants to label me, and that made me laugh uh, when I first saw it. And then actually, I feel that that's quite profound. We're so busy in the Western modern world, labelling everything, labelling everything. And there is just something about that. It's like that old story of the fact the plants you need will come into your garden. And I've seen that, I've actually seen that happen, um, that rather than being so busy labelling the plant, the plants don't need us. They don't need us. They're sharing their own medicine for themselves with us. You know, just just allow them to label me instead of me constantly having to be in touch with them and look to them for what they want to tell us rather than being the one in charge all the time. Well, that's some a great, profound advice to, to finish on. So thank you for your time, Pamela. I really appreciate You're it. so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Next week, episode 60 with Dr. Mike Mew, who qualified in 93 as a dentist at the Royal London Hospital. After several years in general practice, community dentistry and facial surgery, he entered the renowned orthodontic program at Aarhus University in Denmark, qualifying as a special specialist dentist in 2004. Dr. Mew has lectured extensively in the UK and abroad and continues to study the relationship between orthodontics, posture, ENT problems, snoring and sleep apnea with the view of improving orthotopic therapy. We go into a number of different areas about facial structure, how that relates to breathing, how the struggles that Mike has had in trying to move his profession forward and the resistance he's encountered that has actually caused him quite a few, quite a bit of stress. Um, and we'll, yeah, we, we delve into a number of those areas next week. That's episode 60 with Dr. Mike Mew. If you know anyone who would get some real value from the great wisdom that Pamela shared with us about how, you know, some great ways of using herbs, then please do share the episode with them. And I hope you have a good week. Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.